Our text this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, uh, the very beginning of the book, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Uh, If you're looking for this in one of the Pew Bibles, open it roughly in the middle of the book and then turn to page 304. And then get out your magnifying glass because those Pew Bibles have really tiny print, okay? Uh, but, uh, but, but read along from, from your own Bible, from your phone, from the Pew Bible, uh, or from the screen. Uh, let's read, beginning in verse 1 of Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we gather together today as your people uh, here in this place as, as we, we gather digitally. Uh, and as we are scattered, many uh, of our number uh, at home, uh, visiting with family uh, and in other places because of the time of year. We commit ourselves afresh to your guidance, your instruction, to your discipline as we approach the new year with its opportunities and with its uncertainties. God, we pray that you will guide us in our study today to understand ourselves, to understand you, so that we may truly live as as your people. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is New Year's, and New Year's provides new beginnings. I've never been much of a a resolution person. I was listening to... um, WILL radio this week, and they do a kind of a historical recap on, on different, you know, different days of the calendar, and they were looking back to uh, a particular um, article about 120 years ago, I believe it was, in, in one of the Illinois newspapers that had asked people what their resolution was uh, for the new year, and they said the, the, the biggest response they got was, I didn't make any because I don't have any bad habits. Um, so I've always felt that way. Um, <clears throat> But nevertheless, you know, New Year's are, 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 uh, is an opportunity for new beginnings, uh, for a farewell to the hurts and, and disappointments and failures of the previous year. I never really appreciated that kind of turning of the calendar until it came to the end of 2020. Boy, remember that? It was like, what kind of wor- year did we just have, and can we just turn the page on that? And then, wow, 2021 said, you know, uh, hold my soda, uh, because that was, that was just another really, really interesting year. I don't know. I felt like in some respects I caught a breath this year, just in terms of, of life in general, though the particulars of life remain uncertain. So, so we, we turn the page. Um, we, we look for, for some, some hope in what comes forward. And we try to establish new patterns, habits, ways of going about life, whether that involves, you know, a resolution or just, you know, a kind of a quiet determination, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm impressed at 
how much information, how much advice we have around us about establishing new beginnings, new habits, new ways of living. There are books, there are podcasts, there are TV shows. Everybody is getting a makeover these days, okay? Your house is being made over, your wardrobe is being made over, your physique is being made over, your relationships are being made over. If you aren't being made over, I, I think you're being run over uh, you know, in, in, in our culture. And everyone's telling us, here's how you can eat better, here's how you can exercise better, here's how you can work better, here's how you can manage your money better, here's how you can get along with other people better, here's how you can think better, here's how you can feel better, here's how you can enjoy life better. And it's all so simple. Read this book, follow these steps. Now, some of that advice is actually worthwhile. You know, I, I got a book on procrastination and someday I'm going to read it. <laughs> we, can, we can learn things from these kinds of sources. I've, I've, I've learned things over the years that have maybe made me a little healthier, a little less stressed, better organized. Um, my wife is here, but I'll say maybe even easier to get along with, okay? And, and you can ask her later uh, if that might be the case, okay? So, you know, but what if, you know, they're, they're, let's just say there are legitimate experts in our world who, who give us advice that has value. Well, what if we could consult the expert of experts? Now, notice how the book of Proverbs begins. The Proverbs of Solomon. Now, there was a wise man, okay, the king of Israel uh, appointed to the throne after the death of his father, and God speaks to him and says, what do you want? I'll give it to you. And instead of asking for riches or, or power, he asks for wisdom. He's an expert, right? Well, here's what's important to realize about the book of Proverbs. Solomon lies behind this book. He's the one who initiates the collection of the wisdom in this book, probably a collection that went on even beyond his lifetime. But the real source of wisdom, of advice, the real expert in this book is the expert of experts of experts. And that's God himself. In Proverbs, God is inviting you and me to live with his wisdom. And this is a remarkable thing that the creator God himself says, let me guide you, let me instruct you, let me inform you about what it's like to live with the wisdom that I possess. What is it like to live according to the way that I am as the creator and the way I created you to be? So this is the perspective that we have from the book of Proverbs. It's an amazing book because we can look at it and see how much of it is just collecting what we might think of as the conventional wisdom of its time, which was worthwhile. The reason the conventional wisdom is conventional is that it conventionally works. You know, there's, there's some stuff there. But this book goes beyond that because it brings together that conventional wisdom about how to live with the perspective of the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who redeems and forgives us and calls us to be his people, the God who empowers us to live as his people. So this introduction, this kind of prelude to wisdom in Proverbs gives us a potent overview of what God's wisdom is, and that's, that's how I'd like for us to consider it. 
So it shows us, first of all, that God's wisdom is active. This is, this is a point that we see in verse 2. You know, not far away in time and place from Solomon were the philosophers of, of the Greek civilization. You know, the, the, the great names uh, who have established um, the, the, the study of, of philosophy as an endeavor um, among people in Western civilization and really globally. We can think of, of, of figures like, like Zeno or, or, or Plato, Aristotle, uh, Plutarch, and, and, and others who were engaged in this process of understanding wisdom. Now, it's important to understand these Greek philosophers wanted to see, they understood wisdom as something that needed to be done. The result of wisdom was to be a good life, a life well lived, a life that was worthwhile, a life that didn't just bring happiness and satisfaction, that brought, but which brought positive good to the world around them. But the difference between what those, those Greeks were doing and what we see in this book was that they, they simply lacked a firm starting place. They didn't know the creator God as God had re revealed himself to the people of Israel. And so much of their work was simply searching for, trying to, to determine, trying to establish firm ground on which to stand and then work out the way the rest of life could be. Now, sometimes they, they did all right with that. I mean, we find good advice and good perspectives uh, among many of those voices. But the brilliance that they demonstrated nevertheless made very little progress in changing how people lived. Well, the wisdom of the Bible and the wisdom of Proverbs in particular is grounded in who God is and how he made the world. And so wisdom always begins from that standpoint and then moves us into the way God wants us to live as his people. Wisdom in the Bible is, first of all, an attribute of God. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. It comes from God alone. And so it is appropriated by humans who live in relationship with God. The first step of wisdom is to know who God is. And so it is always then expressed in what we do because of what we think and understand in that relationship. Okay, From the relationship that we have with God, our thinking is changed, and so our actions are changed. Now, one of the amazing things that that means is that you and I, as followers of, of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, sometimes do things that other people are thinking kind of stupid. Just as an example, did you notice how empty the streets were this morning? What are y'all doing up at this stage? This is, this is the morning you're supposed to stay in, right? Well, here we are, okay? While the rest of the world may be resting, here we are worshiping and experiencing, well, what we would understand as a different kind of a rest. But you know, this is, this, is, this is quite something that we're taking on here, this doing of God's wisdom. The Bible shows us that God created us, not simply to live our lives on our own terms, but to be stewards of his earth and to care for one another. This is what it means to bear the image of God. It means to express his authority in the world, to live out his wisdom in community as, as those who rule under him over creation. That's something that we do at his direction because it's his world and he's given us the insight that we need to understand it and to do what he calls us to do. But I gotta tell you, when I think about this, I think of the difficult things that I have faced in my life 
and, and the ways that it has just made me extremely, extremely fearful. You know, as I, as I think back in my life, when I was growing up, I think I was most afraid when I won my school spelling bee in sixth grade and had to go to the county spelling bee. Okay. I thought it would be so great to win the school spelling bee. I was not a great speller, but I was stubborn. Okay. And I was also surrounded by people who weren't great spellers, so I won the school spelling bee. And then I was terrified. And I thought, all of these words, look at this, this, just this introductory book of all, I can't spell these words. And then there's a dictionary, I, I can't do this. And one afternoon after school, I just, I just collapsed in tears. I was, I was so stressed by all of this. And my mother gave me some sound advice, you know, that things were fine uh, and, and no one would care. <laughs> and I thought, well, I care. So I went to the spelling bee, and it's the first round. And they give you an easy word on the first round. So I stood up, and they said, spell daughter. And I thought, oh, my goodness. D-A-U. Pause, 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 pause. G-H? I don't think that sounds right. T-E-R. Ding. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a school champion. OK, that was the words of comfort I received from the MC. OK. Oh, OK. You know what? I felt great. I got to sit down. My responsibility was over. Okay? The responsibility of being God's steward is intimidating. Here's some good news. God knows that. This heavy responsibility could paralyze us, but God knows it and accounts for our failure. Wisdom in our text in verse 2 is followed by the word instruction. This is a word in the original language which implies correction. It means God is patient with weak, silly, sinful people, as patient as a good parent is with a child. God doesn't abandon us when we fail. He corrects us. He sets us on the right path. He enables us to learn from our mistakes and our failures. You know, he doesn't just zap us. He picks us up, he dusts us off, and he wants us to learn from him. You know, this is the story of, of, the, of the great heroes of the Bible, Abraham, Moses, David, the 12 disciples. Goodness, how many failures. But the Lord teaches them through their failures to be his people. This process of acquiring wisdom and of being corrected is something through which we gain the ability, in the words of one of my earliest mentors, to figure it out. When I, was, when I was young growing up, uh, the, the pastor of our church who I was very close to, that was kind of his phrase uh, with, with his own four sons, who were all my friends, uh, but, but also with everyone else. When you, when you encountered a difficulty, he'd say a couple of things. He'd say, now figure it out. And that put the responsibility back with us, but gave us kind of the confidence, you know, we can do this. This is the way that, that God works with us. The significant decisions that you and I face, the significant choices that we make seem opaque to us. They're hard to distinguish. But when, when we read in this text to understand words of insight, this is language which suggests discerning and dis distinguishing those hard things. Being able to work out the hard decisions. This is the way that God's understanding is imparted to us, is acquired by us. Later in Proverbs, we see the famous verse in chapter 3, verse 5. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. 
We will always face those dark, uncertain questions. But with God's wisdom, we do so with the confidence that by his instruction, his correction, we can move forward and distinguish the best path. So let's, let's continue with verse 3 where we see God's wisdom is public. God's wisdom is public. A lot of the self-improvement culture that you and I are surrounded with, I think really is, is in the end of the day, self-centered. You know, it's, it's a matter of not just having a nice landscape, but having the best landscape in your neighborhood. It's not just a matter of having uh, a, an organized life, but having the best organized life. It's not just a matter of managing your money well, but being better off than other people are. Well, this is not how the wisdom of, God's work, uh, wisdom of God works. God's wisdom is always focused on how we live with others in a positive, constructive way in community. That's why verse 3 uses words like righteousness, which for the, the Hebrew people was a public virtue that enables harmony and peace for all people. Justice, which was not just legal fairness, but God's peace and provision for all people, and equity, which was not just, uh, not just being the same, but genuinely caring for one another without favoritism, a kind of fairness that empowers all other people. See, God's vision isn't for his people to be better than other people so that they can show off and say, see what it is, it's such a great thing to belong to God. No, it's for his people to make the world better and other people's lives better by how they pursue God's wisdom in example and action. They become the vessels of God's wisdom, God's justice, God's righteousness, God's equity to other people. You know, we live in an age that I, that I and others have, have described as performative. Uh, you know, everyone is, is there to be seen by other people. When I think of Instagram, I think of performative stuff. You know, making sure that your life is curated in, in such a way that your clothes are right and, and your setting is right and your smile is perfect and, and everything looks great for you. Well, there's a kind of performative goodness that, that people can, can pursue uh, that, that is just saying, look at me, Look at the great life that I'm having. Well, God's, um, God's wisdom is very different from that. It produces people who quietly, consistently bring peace and life and blessing to others. I was thinking about this many, many years ago when I was watching the, the funeral service uh, at the National Cathedral for uh, former President Ronald Reagan. Uh, President uh, George H.W. Bush gave a eulogy. And at the beginning, he said, I learned more from Ronald Reagan than from any other figure in public life with whom I worked. And I was waiting then. I thought, what is it that he's going to say that he learned? And the first remark he made was, I learned from Reagan the power of kindness. I thought, what a marvelous thing that was for such a, such a massive public figure, a, a man who had, had gone from a successful career in movies to, to being uh, you know, in, in, in television and industry, and then finally governor of California and president of the United States. 
you know, known all over the world, but it was his private kindnesses that Bush remembered and treasured most. Well, I think that's a small glimpse of the way the wisdom of God is a public wisdom. It is seen privately, but is lived out in a way that blesses all others. God's wisdom, we see in verse 4, is edifying. That is, it builds people up. Do you ever get frustrated with other people? I bet you do. I also bet you don't get as frustrated as I do. I have a gift for being frustrated with other people. Now, this is a terrible thing for me to say because immediately some of you are thinking, oh, no, he's frustrated with me. Well, I am. <laughs> okay, but that's okay. I'm frustrated with everybody else too. And mostly I'm frustrated with myself. Okay. Now, you know, this is why it, it, it was hard working with college students. Um, they're frustrating because they're so young. Their brains don't work. You know, you're, 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 I mean, your brain doesn't, now some of you here are like right on the threshold, okay? I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> but some of you have just turned 25, okay? Congratulations. That means your brain works now, okay? This is about as good as it's going to get is, is the other thing that we might say. But, you know, people, people are frustrating, aren't they? They're, they just, they're, they're hard to work with. Well, this is, this is why I'm, I'm fascinated by verse 4, which calls out the simple and the youth. And it's saying, you know, people, people are frustrating. And, and then what, is, what does verse 4 do with the simple and the youth? It dumps a bunch of synonyms on them from the rest of the text. You know, it's, it's like uh, Solomon has pulled out his thesaurus to get all the Hebrew words he can that, that mean approximately the same thing. So prudence and knowledge and discretion. He's just, he's piling them on. And what he's saying here is the wisdom of God produces the solution to our foolishness, that, that we see other people and our frustration with others. We see other people uh, as those whom God is teaching. And we realize, you know, I am also someone who is, whom God is teaching. My brain doesn't work either. Okay, this is about as good as it gets for me. And so we are put in a position of, of, of humility, recognizing that we are an unsteady part of God's instruction but the recipients of God's instruction by his grace. And so we're compelled to give grace to, to other people. Think for a moment about someone who, by deed or word, showed you God's wisdom. Maybe a parent, a teacher, a friend, a coworker, uh, a pastor, uh, a mentor uh, in the Christian faith, um, someone that you work with. Think about someone whose maturity was an instructive example to you, who became a real mentor to you, whether the person realized that or not, whether the person intended it or not. Then I think we're beginning to understand how God instructs the simple and the youth. Think about the composition of this congregation. Think about what we are on a typical Sunday as opposed to one like this when the students are, are, are gone. The blend of young and old, the many who have been rooted in their faith here for years, and the many who pass through this congregation briefly, but are transformed by what they receive here. What is that transforming secret? It's those who live their faith with that measure of maturity and who take the time to connect with others through whom the youthful, the simple are instructed. 
maybe you're a person who wants to make a resolution, you're not certain of the resolution to make. I think we should all eat better, exercise more, and get more sleep, okay? So let's add all of those things, but let me suggest one other thing. Resolve to make deeper, stronger, more consistent connections with someone from whom you can receive wisdom and with someone from whom you can impart wisdom. And that latter bit does not mean that you have to come in as Mr. Know-it-all. It means that you come in as a humble learner yourself. Let's see if we can continue to reinforce what already is the secret sauce of our community. Verse 5 shows us another aspect of God's wisdom, that God's wisdom is, grow, is growing. I've been waiting all my life to feel grown up. Um, I, Fred, Fred, can you relate to this? Okay, I, I said this, Fred is just laughing back there, and you know, I, I, Fred and I are, 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 are like souls in this. We are, we are men of a certain age who are not grown up, okay? It's, 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 it's that simple. I was, I was thinking this morning about how when I was in kindergarten, her teacher told us how old we would be in the year 2000. She said, you'll be 42 in the year 2000. And of course, I couldn't even conceive of that when I was five. I mean, that's just unspeakably old, okay? You know, and, but she, I was realizing today, she didn't tell me that in 2023, I'd turn 65. It's about time I started feeling like an adult, but I don't, I don't. I, you know, I never feel like I've, I've grown into the age that I am. Uh, I think, and that, I think that's true for, for most people. Few people feel grown up in wisdom. If someone calls us wise, we think they're nuts. We look up to other people, but, and, and when we tell them that, they probably think that they're nuts too. Well, for those who seek God's wisdom, God's wisdom is always growing. The wise increase in learning. One who understands obtains guidance. We are being and becoming as God's people. The words of, of um, the last battle, the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, further up and further in. That's not just the motto of eternity, that's the motto of the present. For me, uh, a, a, an example of this that's just seared into my memory came years ago when I was in a meeting with my hero, N.T. Wright. Now that's a name that may mean something to some of you, you may have read some of his books, but um, N.T. Wright is uh, a, a British New Testament scholar uh, who just, his, his work has just crystallized so many things for me as, as a student of the Bible. And, and several years ago, I was in a meeting with him and I just thought, oh, this is just the coolest thing. I hope I don't say anything stupid. And, and there we were discussing the, the, the thing that was to be discussed and he paused and he said, you know, I believe that in my study and in my ministry and here in my middle age, he was in his 50s at the time, I'm getting to know God. And I thought, wow, this guy has taught me so much and this is the perspective that he has, that there, there is still so much to be obtained. Let's think about this. As a follower of Jesus, what would you think of yourself if you claim to have arrived where God's wisdom is concerned? Of course, this is a growing matter. Of course, it's always a matter of further up and further in. 
You know, I appreciate the perspective that verse 6 gives us in our text because it shows us something that I think is often missed, and that is that God's wisdom is paradoxical. If I can drop that longish word on us today. God's wisdom is paradoxical. A lot of the self-help wisdom that we receive is formulaic. Here are six steps to a happier life. Here are five ways to get your space organized. Here are seven things you can do to get along with a cranky coworker. Okay? Here are four steps to financial freedom. And it's all right there. Follow these four things and everything's great. You know what the best steps to financial freedom are? To publish a list of steps on financial freedom. Okay, to get other people to pay for your advice. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. The problem with formulaic advice is that life is not formulaic. God's wisdom is surprisingly non-formulaic, even though we try to present it otherwise. Now, this is going to seem paradoxical within the context of Proverbs itself, because the book of Proverbs is largely a collection of very memorable short sayings of wisdom, which can sound formulaic. But when you read them carefully, you see something else is going on. In the language of verse 6, there's some interesting terms. The word proverb itself is an expression which in the original language essentially means a provocative saying, something that you've got to think about to understand. Then the book uses the word translated uh, in the ESV saying. Well, in, in some uses at least, that expression refers to, and I love this, sarcastic remarks. Oh, God is sarcastic? Amen. Okay, this, this to me is very reassuring. And then the term riddle, things that are not easily understood. You see, all of these expressions are aspects or, or, or ways that express life as seen from God's perspective. Because life seen from God's perspective is deeply paradoxical. My favorite paradox in the book of Proverbs is found in Proverbs 26. Verse 4 says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then the next verse, verse 5, says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Come on, Solomon, make up your mind. Which one is it? Well, it's both. It's both of these things. And think about how many paradoxes you and I embrace as, as believers in Christ. Our world is pronounced by God very good, yet it's filled with evil because of human sin. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are both of those at the same time. Our powerful sexual impulses uh, compel us to, to, to behaviors that, that are seemingly irresistible, and yet from the perspective of eternity, those are among the least lasting aspects of who we are. In the Bible, the way of greatness is the way of lowliness and service. And life comes out of the death of Jesus on the cross. Well, even in naming these paradoxes, we run the risk of reducing them to, to formulas or, or trite sayings. These are things that have to be experienced. They have to be lived by faith, and they have to be witnessed in action. Just the words, greatness is found in service, does not adequately convey what this means. What conveys it is a life lived on that path, as that perspective is, is more deeply and deeply ingrained in our consciousness. As God makes his wisdom known to us truly, and as we experience his wisdom in action, as we exercise it in community and impart it to others and grow in it continually, we learn all the more that God, though truly making himself known to us, is beyond us, our knowledge and our understanding. God invites us to know him truly 
and yet to begin to experience the inexhaustibility of his wisdom. And so the text concludes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That word beginning is the same one that we see in Genesis 1. This is the creator God that we're talking about. And he bids us to join him to learn wisdom. To fear him is not to live in terror. It is to reckon with his power, his wisdom, his righteousness, justice, fairness, and his mercy and grace. It is to live with the knowledge that the God who gives life the God who judges the world, who establishes his justice in his mercy and grace forgives us and invites us to learn from him, to press on in the journey together to become the people he made us to be and to live together as he calls us to live. Now Solomon, the initiator of this collection of wisdom, was granted exceptional wisdom in answer to a humble prayer. But ironically enough, his life ended not in fear of the Lord, but as what our text describes as a fool, having abandoned wisdom and correction. As king, he learned not to fear, not to submit. He exemplified what the fool is, gathering wealth and power for himself. Yet Jesus, born in the same line of David, as, according to Matthew, a descendant of Solomon, fully possessing the wisdom and power of God, became God's wisdom incarnate, living God's wisdom in submission to the Father. He who truly is king did not use his kingly station for his own advantage, but submitted to God as you and I have failed to do. Not my will, but yours be, do be done, he prayed. He, who was rightly called Lord, exemplified the fear of the Lord in all that he did. I invite you, as I invite myself, to know wisdom by first and foremost knowing Jesus. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your great mercy through which you have revealed your wisdom to us through which you call us to be your people. And we thank you that in your mercy, Christ became incarnate, lived among us, died for us, rose to impart life to us, and now reigns with you in heaven. And we pray that as we incorporate that great truth into our lives, as we listen to and follow your wisdom, and experience your correction, that we could truly be the light of Christ to those around us. In the name of Christ we pray.